to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. Last Sunday, I preached the devil is alive. And if you weren't here last Sunday, um, you're going to catch a little bit of what I preached. Uh, but I believe God's going to touch some people today. And so 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm going to preach on defeating Jezebel and the strongholds that are in your life. Defeating Jezebel and the strongholds that are in your life. This is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 19 beginning in verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, Elijah rose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough or I've had enough, I'm done. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. I want you to do something I hardly ever do, but I want to ask you to pray for me right now. I want you to ask God to move in this service because I'm going to be preaching against a a demonic spirit, and I know Satan would like to come against me. Would you just pray a hedge around your pastor right now and around this church? Father, in the name of Jesus, don't hardly ever do this. You just launch right into preaching. But I just pray you'll hear the prayers of the saints and the enemy cannot come against me and not come against this service. We pray a hedge around me, around this church, and around these altars so that, God, you can set people free. And I just pray right now, Satan knows I'm coming against him, about to expose him and that spirit. But, God, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this old world. And I've been given power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. So I thank you today. God, my limitations, when I reach the end, my limitations, the end of my resources, that's where I pick up God and I lean on your resources. And you, you're more than enough. You've made me, me more than a conqueror. So I praise you this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you for what you're going to do in this house and people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want to begin by telling you today that God is moving in quite a few churches in the United States of America. I read resources and listen to, to podcasts and talk with other people who are listening to such podcasts. It is exciting to me to know that the Holy Spirit is moving in many churches in America. There is a renewed interest and focus on discipleship, on evangelism. I love this, on, on the baptism with the Holy Spirit on, and on the gifts of the Spirit and on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And because we're a Pentecostal church, that's exciting to me because like a lot of churches, we're not trying to figure it out. Praise the Lord, we already know. And, and it's who we are and how we operate. And I think that's a reason why so many people are coming to high praises. And I think it's the reason so many uh, young adults, those in that age group that they've labeled millennials and even generation z are coming into this church because they are experiencing the reality of his presence and of his power and and i love that and and i'll tell you what i don't want to be in a dead tri church i want to be in a church where the holy ghost is moving and the spirit of god is real 
We had a visitor last Sunday who was here, uh, and uh, or actually I take that back, who's visited church before, but I saw them in another situation, and uh, they were up for the family event, and uh, they made the comment. They said, ooh, we've been, we've been to your church, and we come up to visit our family. They live, in, I think, in Aiken. They said, ooh, you can't find many fired-up churches, but your church is fired up. You got a reputation for being a fired-up church. I don't know if you know that or not. And so God is moving, and God's not just moving in, in America, and it, but he's moving here at HPC. And uh, I want to just tell you today, he's doing something in your pastor. He's doing something in the other pastors. He's moving in our church leadership. I enjoy getting with the elders and in the deacons and hearing them with our life group leaders. There's an excitement. There's an anticipation. There's a there, there, there's this, this accenting on God moving and the Spirit of God having His way. And uh, I'm going to tell you what, God's moving in you. A lot of you are giving me testimonies of how God is working in your life. And so that's powerful. I'm just going to share a few things that have just happened within the last couple of weeks. Um, we had one of our elders, and I may have shared this, but uh, one of our elders uh, came up after the first service last Sunday and said, well, he said, uh, uh, I got a miracle the week before when Bishop Derwood Perkins was here. He said, I got a miracle. I said, what happened? He said, my rotator cuff has been all messed up. And he said, I couldn't move my arm. But he said, Pastor, look at this. And he started moving it around. He said, while the preacher, while Bishop Perkins was preaching, the power of God came on me. And he said, God healed me during the service. I'm telling you, God's moving in high praises. The, the Sunday that Bishop Perkins preached, I got tickled. And I don't know if that lady's here this morning, but I'm, gonna, I'm going to tell on her because it's just too good a story to tell. But he prayed and ministered for people, and, and God was touching a lot of people. And this older lady came up right over here, and Bishop Perkins laid hands on her. And uh, what we used to say, because uh, it can be real misleading, what, what we would, what some of us who are old school would couch it, she got slain in the spirit. Anybody know what it is when you get slain in the spirit? Now, those of you who don't know church term, that didn't mean she got killed, all right? Nobody cut her down with a machete or anything. What happened is that when the bishop laid hands on her, the glory and the presence of God came on her so heavily, so mightily that she couldn't stand up under it. She went weak and she fell to the ground. That never happened to her. Well, God was touching her and moving her. The service ended, and I was talking to people, and I headed out that door, and she was standing over there, and she was crying or sitting. She was crying. I could tell. I said, honey, are you okay? She said, I've never felt anything like this before. She said, nothing like this has ever happened to me. She said, I don't know. I said, well, it's the Holy Spirit of God. That's what it is. It's the presence and power of God. She said, I looked around the church, and people were quiet crying during the service. I thought, what's wrong with these people? I don't know what's wrong. She said, but it's happened to me. She couldn't stop crying. I said, yeah, honey, you're having an encounter with a living God. Just let him have his way in your life. I got tickled this past Sunday. I preached, you know, about the lies of the devil. I preached about how Satan will tell you lies and we'll think that something's okay and he'll hide the truth. But then when we hear the word of God, that it exposes the lie of the devil. And, and uh, I, I've been talking about this lately because culturally this is an issue. But a lot of young adults... 
uh, they just accept it. It's a carnal thing. It's a worldly thing. And it's, and it's happening where, you know, if you love somebody, uh, just move in with each other. You don't have to get married. Just move in with each other. And that's kind of the normal thing. Well, I, let me just tell you again. I told you last Sunday, but let me just stand as flat-footed as I can. If you're going to claim to serve Jesus and be born again, you can't be living with each other because living in people, you know, do a certain thing, okay? And you ain't supposed to do I'm just trying to be discreet here because we got some children in the room. And you can't do that certain thing you're doing because that's called fornication, okay? And and it's wrong. It's a sin. It's a lie of the devil. And so I, I, I was preaching that last Sunday about how Satan's lied. And I got so tickled. I, that couple's here this morning. But they, they waited after church and came up to me. And, and they said, well, I guess we're going to get married this week. I said, well, how, how come? I said, and I just said, why, y'all living together? They said, well, we, yeah, we are. But they said, after what you preach, we got to go see the judge this week. I said, well, good for you. That's what you're supposed to do. I did a little premarital counseling down there for about five minutes. Got another couple in the church found out Monday morning that came here, gone through growth track. God's done a work in their life and saved the one. Uh, but they moved in together, but God saved them. And now they got this. See, when you when you get saved, you get a conflict inside of you with sin because you don't, you're not a sinner anymore. You're saved. You, you're, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Your life's been changed. Old things have passed away. Everything becomes new. And so they were talking with one of the other pastors. And I don't what you know, a pastor's preaching that Bible says we're not supposed to do this. And the pastor said, Well, you know what? You need to make adjustments. You need, and they said, Well, that's exactly what we're gonna do. We're fixing to change our arrangements because because we have been saved and we want to live for Jesus and we want to do what's right. We don't want to serve the devil anymore. Now let me just tell y'all something. A revival can be a series of scheduled services in a church where an evangelist comes in, and that's true. But I'm going to tell you what real revival is. Real revival is when you're preaching like this, and you got miracles, and you got people saying, i got to change my life and line up with the Word of God, and the lies of the devil are being exposed. I preached last week about the lies of the devil, and I said, if you're in a stronghold or a bondage, get down here, and people will pray with you. Well, good Lord, the greatest stronghold of all is the stronghold of sin. We had two different people that came to the altar and got with prayer partners and said I'm bound up with sin I want to be saved and they got to lead them to Jesus and two people came to Christ last Sunday that's revival that's revival that's how you know God is working in your church but let me just tell you right now anytime God is moving Satan is going to resist he's going to fight back and we have to be ready to defeat him and if you weren't here last Sunday, I just shared a personal part of my life how recently two different women that I really don't know through various means came against me to condemn me and try to control me and try to build a stronghold in my mind and try to control this church and was critical of this church coming against me. And uh, I knew exactly what it was. They, they think they're spiritual. But they're under the control of the devil. They don't even realize they're puppets of the devil. I told one of them, I said, you ought to get in your car and feel Holy Ghost conviction for the way you're talking. But the devil's going to fight. The devil is a liar. There is a story in the Bible that depicts this. Something happened very similar in 1 Kings in Israel. God moved among his people through the prophetic voice and the work of Elijah. He got the people of Israel together on Mount Carmel, and he got the prophets of Baal, and he said, we're going to build two altars, and we're going to pray. 
And the God who answers by fire will be the God of Israel. And the prophets of Baal prayed to their false god, which didn't even exist, and cut themselves and nothing happened. And at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah said, all right, you've had your turn, it's my turn. And he said, come to me. And the people of God gathered around the altar and he rebuilt the altar. The altar had been torn down. You're going to start having trouble in your life when you stop praying. You'll, you'll backslide when you stop praying. And they got around the altar and re rebuilt the altar. And he put a sacrifice on there and dumped 12 buckets of water on an altar that he was hoping and believing would be consumed with fire. That's faith, isn't it? And then he prayed a 62, 63-word prayer, and God sent down fire from heaven. And it not only consumed the sacrifice, it burned up the stones, it licked up the water, and licked up the dust around the stones. People fell on their face and cried out, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And God sent a revival and began to turn the hearts of the people fully towards him. Elijah said, Stop and arrest the 400 prophets of Baal and kill them. And they took them down by the brook and killed them. They were... There was no redemption for them. They were sold out to the devil. They were puppets of the devil, determined to destroy the people of God and the faith in the people of God. So it was a great revival. Well, when they went back to Jezreel and they told Queen Jezebel, she heard about it. It made her mad. And she resisted Elijah and threatened to take his life. It's what we read in the text this morning. This was the work of Satan. She tried to silence God's prophetic voice in Israel. And to a great degree, this is what happened to me recently. People were trying to change my voice and silence my voice and control my voice. And I recognized it immediately what it was. And what I confronted was a spirit of religion and a spirit of Jezebel. Now there is a spirit of Jezebel. As a matter of fact, I have a book in my library called Unmasking the Jezebel Spirit. And let me just explain that to you. The spirit of Jezebel is a diabolical spiritual force that seeks to disable God's ministers and their ministries and establish strongholds in a person's mind. Do I need to say that again or did you hear me? A diabolical spiritual force that wants to disable God's ministers and their ministries and establish strongholds in a person's mind. I, I, I started the week doing a Bible study, an intense Bible study of the life of Jezebel from the time that we are introduced to her in the scriptures all the way to the point when she was killed. And here's what I understand. Jezebel was a wicked, wicked woman who fanatically worshipped Baal and Ashtoreth, these horrible, perverse, false gods and who opposed God and opposed his prophets. I'm going to save you the time by giving you the benefits of my study. Here's several things to know about Jezebel so we can understand the spirit of Jezebel. First of all, she controlled and manipulated her husband, King Ahab. In our vernacular, we would say she wore the pants in the family. Second, she financially supported and controlled false prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth. They ate at her table. She complimented them. She financially supported them. Third, she killed the prophets of God, literally massacred them. And finally, she assumed authority that wasn't hers. She took the authority of her husband, the king, and assumed it as her own. 
it's interesting that in Revelation chapter 2, in Jesus' message to the seven churches of, of uh, Asia Minor, what's present-day Turkey, that God speaks to one, the church at the city of Thyatira, and he mentions a woman named Jezebel. You can read about Jezebel in the New Testament in the book of Revelation. It was a woman in their congregation who had the spirit of Jezebel. Jesus, her name wasn't Jezebel, but Jesus actually calls her Jezebel so that the congregation could know who they were dealing with. She taught false doctrines. She seduced men in the church to commit sexual immorality. She influenced believers to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. And there were always demonic forces behind the idols. And, and when confronted, she would not repent of her sins. And a woman under the influence of the spirit of Jezebel will do the same thing as Queen Jezebel. By the way, a man can have the spirit of Jezebel or the influence of the spirits of Jezebel as well. But it, but it can only go so far, and it's not as common, ladies, as this gets on a woman. Here's what happens generally. Generally, she wears the pants in her family. She tells her husband what to do. She manipulates him to get her way and to assume her, his authority as her own. Oftentimes, her husband is a weak man spiritually, and he's weak as a leader. Think King Ahab. The second thing that happened is, is that she tries to get close to the pastor or one of the pastors or several of the pastors to manipulate him and to control him through her actions, her words, and her air of spiritual authority. Trust me, I got people's faces and names running through my head right now. They'll compliment you. They'll want to take you out to eat, you and your wife. They'll try to saddle up next to your wife and see if they can get to you by getting close to your wife. Uh, and they're going to do everything they can to get in close to you because they want position, they want authority, they want to be placed in a spot where they can have influence. Now, it happens. But if she cannot control that pastor and the pastor sees what's going on, then instead of being complimentary and sweet and supportive and buying him things, she turns and she attempts to undermine him and destroy him and his ministry. She'll try to take over the church. Ladies, sometimes she surrounds herself with other women in the church who are deceived by her. They think that she's real spiritual and they want to follow her and she begins to speak against the pastor and say things against the pastor, try to tear him down and say how he's teaching wrong and his preaching is wrong. He doesn't preach like he used to preach, his preach and we could do better with somebody else. That's the spirit of Jezebel. And if a pastor is foolish enough to give in to her, she will eventually obtain a leadership position and teach things that are false and she will lead church people into sinning. She may even have an affair with a man in the church or several men in the church. And if confronted, she will refuse to repent. I've seen it. Will refuse to repent and say things like this. We're right. I'm right. Everybody else is wrong. I haven't done anything wrong. And I'm not. The pastor's wrong. Or those people with him are wrong. And they ought to do something. But I haven't done a thing wrong. Seen it time and again. Jezebel attacked Elijah, and she had a profound negative impact on him. She said, I'm going to kill you. Now, this was a lie. He 
You know how I know it was a lie? Because God wasn't finished with Elijah. I mean, she had wanted to kill him. Ahab wanted to kill him. They couldn't. Every time they try to get him, and God would just snatch him up supernaturally and carry him off some other place. Now, don't you imagine that would have been cool? You flying through the air. Where are we going, Lord? Uh, you'll see. Put you down. That's what I'm talking about. God would not allow her to kill Elijah. He was the prophet to Israel with a calling on his life. But here he calls down fire from heaven, kills her prophets. I mean, he is the man. It is his hour in the Lord, we should say. And God's just doing great things. And Satan says, I'm not putting up with this. And it's interesting that one woman threatens him one time with something that's not true. And Elijah, instead of saying, that's a lie, I don't believe it, I'm not worried about her, instead believed her lie. Let me just say it again. Two Sundays in a row. The devil is a liar. And you cannot and you should not and you do not listen to the lies of the devil. Because he will lie to you. He cannot speak the truth. And so Elijah believed her lie and he ran for his life. I learned from a man with a PhD in psychology one time years ago and I've preached this. That when confronted with a crisis, you're going to do one of four things. You're either going to freeze and do nothing. You're going to fight. You're going to formulate a plan or you're going to flee. Now, formulating a plan to deal with the crisis is the correct response. But so many times we stick our head in the sand or we lash out and we fight in a way that's not going to be productive. But this is the one we normally do. We run. It's that flight mode. That's exactly what happened to Elijah. He ran for his life. He deserted his post and he left the ministry. His post was Israel. His ministry was to be a prophet. But he left it and deserted it. And ultimately for a little while Jezebel won. She couldn't kill him but she got him out of Israel. Let me tell you about the spirit of Jezebel. If Satan can't take you out He'll run you off. If Satan can't take you out, he'll run you off. I've seen it happen with preachers in churches, and I've even seen it happen with ministers. Where the enemy will come against people in a church, come against the pastor, and the, the, the attack is so heavy, and he doesn't know how to fight, he doesn't know how to respond, and, and that spirit of Jezebel will work, that spirit of religion will work, and people, instead of dealing with it and saying we're going to handle it, says I can't take this, and they'll leave. The, the preacher will go to the state overseer and say, I'm, I'm having trouble in my church, I want to move, send me to another church. The members will say, I've got issues that are going on in my life, and I, I'm leaving the church, I'm running, I'm just running from God, and I'm running from the church, and I'm leaving. And that's what Elijah did. He left his servant in Beersheba and he kept on running. Beersheba is the southernmost city in Israel at that time. So he ran as far south as he could. And he got to Beersheba and he left his servant in that town and then went another day's journey into the wilderness. And here's the reason why. He hoped that these imaginary assassins that he was convinced were on his tail 
following him as he's running south trying to get away. Sounds like a movie, doesn't it? He's, he's hoping that if he leaves his servant in, Je- in Beersheba, that they'll find him and associate him with Elijah and kill him and, and then destroy him and leave him alone. That they'll be satisfied with taking him out and leave him alone. And he did the dumbest thing in the world because when you're in a battle, you don't want to fight by yourself. Never fight by yourself if you've got somebody that will fight with you. Okay, but he deserted his servant and isolated himself and went on into the wilderness. Now, let me just teach you something. Satan will try his hardest to isolate you from your church and godly people so he can have you all to himself. And the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself when fighting the devil. Can I show you something else? This is powerful. And so Jezebel's words put him in a wilderness experience. A wilderness is a dry place, a lonely place. And spiritually, we go through wilderness seasons, and it's a dry place spiritually, and you feel all alone. That's where he was. Second, her words made him want to die. So he had hopelessness, spiritual dryness, a feeling of hopelessness. And then he felt guilty for his pitiful condition. He left his post. He's running for his life. He's out in the wilderness. He's sitting there thinking about it. I'm a coward. I'm a failure. I'm I'm no good to God. I used to be good to God, but look at me. I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knows me. I'm I'm forgotten. I'll never succeed again. And he had these feelings of worthlessness. So Jezebel's words, the words, the threat of one woman, put him in a wilderness, a spiritual dry place, made him feel hopeless, and made him feel worthless. Can I tell you this morning that what the devil did to Elijah, that's what the devil wants to do to you. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and be real. For some of you, it's what he's already done. Because of something somebody said, or something that you did, and, and some, something that somebody spoke, or, or a lie that the devil has spoken into your life, Now you feel like you're far from God. You feel spiritually dry. You don't feel close to the Lord anymore. And it just doesn't seem like things will get better. This has been going on for a long, long time, and you've lost all hope. And then you feel worthless. You feel guilty because of your spiritual condition. You feel like you failed God. You feel like a spiritual failure. Some of you have given up so much so that you've even gone back into sin. The devil's won. I want to show you something I didn't read in a book. I got it while I was in prayer. Jezebel's words, her lie, set up a stronghold in Elijah's mind that wreaked havoc in his life. That's what the devil's lies do. They build a stronghold in your mind. A stronghold is a fortified place in enemy territory that places the enemy as a base in your territory as a base of operation for him to work. So if you have a stronghold in your mind, the devil's not supposed to be there and the devil's lies are not supposed to be there. But if he gets a stronghold, now he has a base of operation that he can have access to your mind and ultimately to your life. Lee and I a few years ago went to Charleston. We went down to, I took the tour of Fort Sumter. Pretty cool. You know, it's not the greatest thing in the world because, you know, that was where the 
first shots were fired for the Civil War, which is not one of our better times in American history. But nonetheless, it's a cool place. And, and so if you've ever been to Fort Sumter, Fort Sumter is a stronghold. Okay, it's got berries, got walls. And the point is that you want to you wanna use it as a place where you can operate. And that's exactly what happened in the Civil War. When the South succeeded, the Union soldiers still had it. So they had a stronghold, what was now enemy territory, and the South said, we're going to attack it and move them out because we don't want them operating in our territory. Listen, let me make the comparison. That's what the devil does. The devil puts a stronghold in your mind, and you don't want him there. You shouldn't want him there, but he's there so that he can operate in your mind, in your heart, and in your life. Let me read you a passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. I wanted to preach this last Sunday, but ran out of time. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. Listen, for pulling down strongholds. That's in the Bible. For casting down, pulling down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Think of the high walls of a fortified place, of a fort. Bringing them down into the against everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Watch this. Bringing every thought. Y'all with me? Y'all listening? Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. So what it's saying is that if there is a stronghold because of a lie of the devil that's in your mind and now it's wreaking havoc in your life, controlling your life, you have got to go in with the weapons of God and pull down that stronghold, tear down that stronghold, eliminate that stronghold, run that lie out of your mind so that it is no longer working in your mind. You don't believe it anymore. And, and, and if there are thoughts still running around, you take them captive. In my, in my margin, in my Bible, I said you need to pull down strongholds and take captives. Paul refers to strongholds of the mind that are built through Satan's lies which want to live in your mind and operate wickedly, creating doubt, depression, confusion, fear, anxiety, negative thinking, even ultimately sin. I'm going to give you two of the more prominent strongholds. A major stronghold in many people are thoughts of inferiority. Thoughts of inferiority. You're not wealthy enough. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You don't look good enough. You don't have the pedigree. You don't have the education. You don't have the connections. You're not good looking enough. You don't look good enough. Okay? You're worthless. There's a young man who came last Sunday. I hope he's here today. I was in the altars, and that young man said that the devil had put a stronghold in his life of feeling worthless. Ah, my heart went out to that young man because nobody asked. I said, you saved. He said, I'm saved. Listen, no child of God ought to walk around feeling worthless. The Spirit of God came on me last Sunday, and I said, you look, and he had his head down because that's what the devil does. He'll make you walk around like you're a nobody. I said, put your head up and look me in the eye. 
I said, if you're saved, you are a son of the living God. You're an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Throw your shoulders back. Hold your head up. You are the apple of God's eye. You have a, God has a plan for you. God has a destiny for you. You are not worthless. You don't realize how valuable you are, and you are somebody. Don't you ever let anybody tell you that you are nobody. You are a somebody because if Jesus Christ could love you enough to give his life for you, then you must be valuable to him. You must matter to him. Don't you buy into that lie. Come against that lie in the name of Jesus. The second stronghold that the devil will use, it's common, are thoughts of condemnation. You ever had that go on? You mess up, you do wrong. And instead of running to the truth of God's word, you'll, you'll, you'll think on it. You'll dwell on it. You'll crack the door open. The devil will walk right in the door. He'll say lies like, who do you think you are? You're not pleasing to God. You're not spiritual. Look how you just failed. Look at that sin you committed. You're a spiritual failure. Hey, you don't, you don't pray enough. Who do you think you are? You don't read your Bible enough. You don't go to church enough. You're not close to God. I know you. I know your life. The one that was thrown to me is you're not like you used to be. I had one woman one time, I think there was a spirit of Jezebel on her, her husband sitting in my office. She said something you don't ever say to a grown man. This was years ago. She said, why can't you be more like your daddy? You want to irk a man, a grown man? Say that to him. I scared her. I came up out of my chair. I was nice. I ain't going to tell you what I said, but I was nice. Stinking, rotten devil. Try to make you feel worthless and try to keep you under condemnation. People that feel condemned are bound. I told you last week the lies of the devil will enslave you. They'll bind you up. I told you last week in the altars about that woman that I preached when I preached for Daryl Croft in a tent. <laughs> preached in a tent. That was pretty cool. And God gave me the name and, the, and a word for a specific woman, and she was there. I called her and said, Did anybody hear by this name? And that woman spoke up. God had told me she'd had an abortion. I'm going to tell this again. I know I told her recently. Some of you weren't here. You need to hear this. Somebody needs to hear this. I'm going to tell it again. I said, I need to have a, see me in the altar. I need to have a word with you. She came down at the altar. I said, have you ever, I said, is your name something? She said, yeah. I said, have you ever had an abortion? I said this in her ear discreetly. She said, yes, I have. That's the word that God gave me was for somebody who had an abortion. I said, let me give you the word God gave me. The devil's used that lie to create a stronghold in your life and try to destroy you. But I came here tonight all the way from Anderson, South Carolina, to tell you that what the devil has said to you is a lie and that you are a born-again, redeemed child and daughter of the living God, and you need to do what God has told you to do, and you need to walk in your unction, your anointing, and your calling. I didn't know that woman from Eve. When I got through in the altars and ministering, she hung around and came up to me. She said, I had an abortion when I was a young lady, when I was a young girl in sin. 
And she said, later I got saved and I wanted to help teenage girls and teach them so they'd never do what I would did. I want to pour into them and disciple them. She said, but every time I'd step forward to try to move into that ministry, she said, the devil would show up and say, who do you think you are? You killed a baby. You had an abortion. You're not worthy. See, and she said, I would cower back down. That devil built a stronghold in her mind. But that night, some young anointed preacher from Anderson, South Carolina, came on a mission from God with a prophetic word of God and said, I'm going to tell you something, not the lies, but I'm going to tell you the truth from God because let God be true and every man a liar. And I gave her a prophetic word, and she said, Pastor, after you gave me that prophetic word, she said, I'm liberated now. I'm going to start doing what God's called me to do. I don't have to listen to that lie of the devil anymore, and I know God's got a call on my life. I'm going to start helping young people and do what God's called me to do. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So what does God say to do? I'm about to come to a little close, almost. God says, tear down the strongholds and capture the lies. How? Through the weapons of our warfare that are mighty in God. What are our weapons? It's called God's truth. Truth always exposes and destroys Satan's lies. You cast it down, and it loses its power and its influence over you, and you tell that thought, you are not true, you are a lie, God says this about me, and then you quote the word of God. Because that's how Jesus beat the devil. Condemnation. If you feel worthless, and you feel condemned, and you say, man, I've messed up, and you're right, I have failed, and I've sinned, I've sinned too many times, even though I'm saved, God can't use me. I'm disqualified. Here's what you do. You say, uh, excuse me, lie in my head, stronghold. I'm about to tear you down. I went over to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and this is what God says about me, and it's greater than what you say about me, for there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit for the law the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death I am not condemned I am justified I am sanctified I am born again I've been adopted by God I've been reconciled to God I am no longer under condemnation I'm putting that thing behind me where sin abounds grace does much more abound Hallelujah. And you grab a hold of that. And you walk in it. And then the lie can't hurt you anymore. God showed up and spoke words that helped Elijah tear down the stronghold that Jezebel had in his mind. Go ahead and play, Pastor Billy. Now, I didn't read this, but if you'd read on in chapter 19, I'm going to show you what he said. God said, Elijah... You need to go return. By the way, can I just stop right here? You know how I told you last Sunday that angels came and ministered to Jesus, and that's what we did in these altars last week. We had prayer team members be the angels. Guess who showed up for Elijah when he was in the wilderness all by himself? An angel. An angel came and ministered to him. God can send real angels, but this morning he's going to use human angels. He said, go return. Go where you're supposed to be. Go back to Israel. Do what I've called you to do. You've done the wrong thing. You need to go back, make it right, and do the right thing. Repent. Turn around. Go back the opposite direction. Because that's what repentance is, see? So listen. Some of you, God is saying to you, 
Stop listening to the devil's lie and go do the right thing. Y'all listen to me this morning. Go do the right thing. Go make the right choice. Go volunteer for that ministry that God's been dealing with you about for six months. Go encourage your husband to be the spiritual leader you want him to be. Ladies, you say, my husband's not the spiritual leader. That doesn't mean you be the spiritual leader. You just do everything you can to help him become the spiritual leader. Encourage him. Say little things to help him to become the man of God that he ought to be. Repent from that sin that you're committing. Leave that bad relationship that you're in. Do the right thing. Get married and stop living together. Do the right thing. Keep yourself pure. You can't serve God and be impure. Keep yourself pure. Second, he said, go operate in the anointing. He said, I want you to get a bottle of oil and go anoint Haziel as king of Syria, Jehu as king of Israel, and Elisha as your successor. You anointed prophets, priests, and kings. Two of those men would be a king and one of them would be a prophet. You would take oil and they would literally pour it all over their head and oil would run down them. And the anointing, because the anoint just means to put oil on it. And when they put oil on him, that was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And what was happening physically with oil running down, the Holy Spirit would come on those men and anoint them to do what God has called them to do. Listen, God is saying to you, you need to go operate in the anointing. Say, Pastor, what does that mean? That means after you've torn down this stinking stronghold and you've said, I'm not listening to lies anymore, you need to pursue God. You need to be spiritual instead of being carnal. You need to start flowing in the Holy Spirit. You need to come to church, get in the altars, go to prayer meeting, go to whatever else is going on. Start going after spiritual things. Read your Bible, pray. Influence others to serve God. Influence others to be spiritual. Avoid carnality. Avoid being part of this world and be the man of God or the woman of God that God has called you to be and go fulfill your destiny in God. That's what God's calling you to do. Third thing he said basically was this, I'm not done with you yet. He said, Elijah, you've isolated yourself. You think you're the only one. He said, but listen to me. I've got 7,000 other Elijahs in Israel that have not bowed their knee to Baal or serving me. 7,000. You think you're the only one. And you failed me. I've got plenty of Elijahs. Okay? Listen to me, y'all. He said, I don't have to have you. But I want you because this is why I made you this is your calling this is your destiny I don't have to use you Elijah but I want to use you the devil may have told you that God is through with you that you failed so many times that he can't use you you listen to this preacher this morning you listen to your spiritual father in the Lord you listen to me it is a lie God can take you and wash you and cleanse you 
Are there ramifications for our sins? Yes. Are there ramifications for what we've done in the past? Yes. But that doesn't stop God from redeeming you and redeeming your present and your future. I'm preaching right now. He doesn't have to use you, but he wants to use you. So what am I saying this morning? Tear down that stronghold and run to the Father and say, I don't deserve it, but here I am. Will you use me, Lord? And the Father will say, yeah, I'm going to use you because I'm not finished with you yet. Listen to me. There are more souls to be saved, more battles for you to win, more converts to be discipled. There's a gospel that needs to be shared. There are people around you in your life that needs to have your godly, divine influence. God's not finished with you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.